Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Karen Gale, the host of Open Your Eyes, and I'm with one of my favorite optometrists, maybe the smartest optometrist in the world, not just in New Jersey or in the United States, but in the world. He's actually an astrophysicist from MIT. He has won fantasy baseball and has won an ESPY award, but he's also an optometrist. So we're going to talk about a complicated subject, but he's going to help make it easy in genetics. So, so Steve, how did you get so interested in genetics? And why should an optometrist be interested in genetics? Well, Kerry, first of all, you're only too kind to me. Um, uh, most of those things I, I paid for to get into those uh, programs. But uh, how did I, I, well, I get into optometry? Um, I was doing um, research in science, and I decided I really wanted to help people more than do basic science. And the work I was doing, probably eight people in the world would understand. Well, when I got into optometry, it was something that everybody could understand. So I wanted to, A, keep myself science-oriented, and B, be able to help people in a, in a very direct way and use my technical abilities to maybe help them better than the average. And tell me what the Human Genome Project, what do we learn from it, and how could that help our patients? It was actually a tremendous international um, effort. I think it started about 1990, and they completed it in 2003, which basically determine the sequence of DNA of what a human being is like. Now, even after the 2003 completion, it still isn't complete to this day, but it's, we keep on adding more to it. So what it essentially does is tell us what we're made of because our DNA is basically what tells us what structure we're gonna be, what um, uh, diseases we're prone to get, what our hair color is. It basically makes us what we are and makes animals what they are also. So what the new genome did the study by identifying the exact sequence of genes that a human being would have, we also, also identify when there's problems where the problem's located rather quickly. So if somebody has, a, if we have a specific disease that we're trying to research, a specific ailment, the genome um, tells us exactly what's wrong and therefore what we could do perhaps to make it better. It was a tremendous project. It took probably billions of dollars. It was an international effort. And it made basically the blueprint for what a human being is like. Um, now, we're all not the same, but even for, uh, let's say, you and I, Terry, we're probably 99.9% .9 the same as each other in terms of our DNA and the human genome. It's that 0.1% that makes you different than I, and that's what makes people um, with different hair colors, different diseases, and different um, uh, either problems or structures. That would make somebody who can eat uh, 5,000 calories a day and not gain a pound, and somebody else can't do that. So we're different from that very small percentage of DNA that the human genome now has identified. I read an, about the Human Genome Project, and it said that an earthworm has maybe more genes than, than a human. How's that possible? Well, uh, that's true. I think they identified 70,000 genes. A lot of the genes really don't function. They're just silent. And I guess um, in the beginning of history, when um, organisms were created, a lot of things, there's a lot of trial and error. 
And the more, um, let's say, exact the genome is, the more likely the organism is to be efficient and to have more uh, abilities to do things. So more genetics doesn't mean better genetics. And that's why uh, certain creatures might have different genes. But even the, the fruit fly has almost the same amount of genes as we do, but certainly we're more complex. So it's how the, the genes, which um, we'll get into what genes do a little bit later, I assume, but it's how the genes are expressed and what they do that creates the complexity of, of life in general and human beings specifically. So explain exactly what is a gene? Okay. It's really cool. It's just amazing how the whole thing developed on Earth and hopefully somewhere else in the universe. A gene is basically um, a sequence of, well, I want to make it simple, a sequence of uh, nucleotides, which have a sugar and a, and a phosphate base. But basically, the gene is a structure that tells um, a protein what it will look like. Making it more simple, let me go back. Um, the gene, genes will then create the proteins by a code. And it's very interesting that three particular nucleotides will make one protein amino acid. Amino acids then get together in a structure and they form a ball based upon the chemistry of the, of the various um, amino acids. And that ball has like one little part, one little tiny part. That's the active part where the gene gets, um, where the uh, protein gets the function. The protein is usually called an enzyme. The enzymes in our body is what make us make all the chemical reactions go. Let's go back to the beginning and let me explain it more simply. The genome or the genes in our DNA will then uh, give us the code to create the protein, which then has a very complex 3D structure, which allows the chemical processes in the body to work, whether it be respiration, whether it be uh, how we digest food, and essentially everything we are and, and will be is determined by the uh, enzymes and how they act and how they work in our body. So it, it's just truly amazing that a 3D protein structure developed from nucleotides, which is what DNA is made of, and developed a code so that a simple three-letter code created an amino acid which then strings together to make a protein, which then coagulates together based upon uh, the chemistry of these uh, various amino acids to form a structure that will then be functional. Wow, how did that happen? That's why it took billions of years for it to happen, and it's not going to happen in a day. And why did it happen? Uh, there's really no reason. There's no um, efficiency to life. There's no reason why the Earth had to have life, but I guess life will find a way, and it did. So what is the DNA, and what's the difference between a gene and the DNA? Okay. Uh, the D a gene is composed of uh, various um, sequences of the nucleotides, which then become a gene which forms the protein. So uh, a gene is um, many, many nucleotides, which are really um, uh, a type of nitrogen um, base. And the bases, as they come together, uh, form a gene. And that gene then forms a protein, and the protein um, causes the processes in our body. So really, the DNA is a sequence of um, nucleotides which form genes and the genes interact with each other and with other uh, particles in our body to uh, make these processes happen. So it's really a very complex thing and it's hard to understand but it's, it's essentially what the DNA became is a code so that we would know, so the body would know how to produce the uh, proper substances to work. So how can 
knowing about genetics before we get into epigenetics help sure. us help us with our patients and why is important patients important for patients to know about this well everything that's either right or wrong in our body has to do with our genome or epigenetics as we'll discuss in the future so by knowing the problems that might occur if your DNA doesn't have the proper sequence to do the proper things that an organism should have in the eye or elsewhere in the body, then it's going to just not function properly, whether it be a cataract that forms, whether it be macular degeneration, glaucoma. If the gene that um, is supposed to function in a certain way and produce a certain protein doesn't produce that protein, or produce that protein ineffectively, uh, the process won't occur. In our case, it's vision. In other cases, it might be the heart. It might be cancers that form. It might be a cataract that forms. But it's as simple as that. So you need to know what, uh, what the genome or the genetic um, code is that should be correct. And once you find that, as the human genome did, you can find out what's wrong and potentially make it right to help make a gene more efficient or cure a disease in the eye or elsewhere in the body. So now the concept of epigenetics and genetics, how is it different? Well, genetics is basically the sequence of the DNA nucleotides. Epigenetics is what makes them function in terms of structures that will either let them express their genes or let them, the genes be repressed. So repressed means not function. So epigenetics is really, uh, the, the genes will stay in the proper sequence, uh, and by the way, we can use the letters A, G, T, C. We'll use them from now on. So that's basically the letters of the genetic code. Now, will the A, T, G, C, will always stay in the proper sequence. When there's epigenetic changes, what happens is that uh, chemicals form around the genome to make them either work or not work, or get, get expressed, which means make that protein, or not get expressed, which means that protein won't get made. So essentially, epigenetics are the things that happen in life to make our genes either work properly or work improperly, but they don't change the genetic sequence. So when somebody has a gene defect, that means that the, the DNA, the G, the A, the C, these are just the code words, are in the improper sequence, are not um, read properly. Epigenetics is not that. Epigenetics is that genes are in the proper sequence, but they're not being used the proper way because of how the chemicals either make the gene get expressed or get repressed, which means not expressed. We used to think that all disease was because of genetics. Now we know that the genes load the, gu the gun, but the lifestyle pulls the trigger. Can you explain that in, in terms of how we could help our patients and how patients could help themselves through lifestyle changes through epigenetics? That's absolutely correct. In other words, uh, all the choices we make in life, um, we dealt uh, a deck of cards from our parents and grandparents, et cetera, which is a DNA uh, sequence. But throughout life, we make choices, whether it be our diet, whether it be by smoking, um, the environment we live in, radiation, exposure to the sun, that all changes what happens with our DNA. And so, for example, we know uh, if somebody smokes, they're more likely to get macular degeneration. Uh, they're more likely to get cataracts, things like that. So, this is my screen here. So, the epigenetic choices we make, which is really the choices we make in how we live our life, uh, whether it be um, 
as I said, uh, the environment we live in, the foods we eat, that will create the situation where the genes will either get expressed properly or improperly. So a lot of choices we make uh, make our DNA function better or worse. Now, I'm sorry. Okay. In 1900, now, there was almost no macular degeneration, cancer, cardiovascular disease. Is that because of epigenetics? I would, well, of course, the DNA hasn't changed. If you probably sequence the DNA of somebody from 1900 or 1900 BC and today, you'd find that they were essentially the same. So why? They were eating better diets in those days. They were in processed food. They were outside, they were doing more exercise. People were uh, uh, more active in those days. There was no radiation produced by all our devices. There were no chemicals, there were no preservatives in our food. I can go on and on, we lived a more healthy lifestyle. And essentially, even statistically, we have not increased our lifespan so much when you take into account infant mortality in this day and age. So the reason why macular degeneration, cataracts occurred in later life, life uh, cancer was not even a disease that was in the top five of, of killing people. And it wasn't because people weren't living long. It was because of the fact that they weren't um, making the life choices or having life choices made that happens in our society today. When you eat a good diet, we eat a, a lot of um, vegetables and fruits and not processed meats and uh, chickens and things like that, you're just going to be healthier because the epigenetic changes that occur because of the bad lifestyle causes bad things to happen to our genes and therefore causes disease that occur. How is protein involved in this? Well, protein is really what um, controls our body function. So when we're talking about the genes, genes make proteins and the proteins make our body systems work, uh, whether it be how our liver works, whether it be how we breathe, how our heart works. Proteins really are the um, messengers in the body that make chemical reactions occur more efficiently. Um, I think even the general public would know the word enzyme. Enzyme is really a protein that makes the chemical reaction occur more quickly or more efficiently. So proteins are not only vital to life, they're really life. Everything else in our body is, if it's not a protein, it's something that relies upon proteins, whether it be connected tissue like muscle or bone, um, or parts of our brain like neurons, their, their uh, function is controlled by proteins. So uh, proteins are human life and enzymes will control the rate of reactions and the efficiency of these reactions. So um, if we're producing proper proteins, we're going to have a, a much better, much healthier lifestyle and, and hopefully less disease. So we need proteins to make enzymes. Uh, how does vitamins and cofactors, vitamins being uh, cofactors, help change those enzymes and change reactions in our body? And why are the vitamins important for, for people? Well, they're very important because what happens with epigenetics, which we're talking about, is what causes changes in our body, and sometimes in good ways and bad ways. There's two main types of um, epigenetic changes. One has to do with something called methylation, which is simply a methyl group. It's just a chemical. Uh, it's made of carbon with some um, hydrogen around it. And that gets incorporated into the DNA. Not getting too complicated, but what happens is that when you're eating a proper diet, you get proper methylation of the DNA and it functions more properly. So vitamins like vitamin B, specifically B2, B6, 
B12, um, and a few other sulfuric acid, will make the methylization of our DNA be more proper, and therefore it will function more properly. It produce better proteins. Will be more healthy. So eating a healthy diet. Now, where does this come from? Um, I, I know I'm speaking to an expert here, so you have me at a disadvantage. But um, uh, basically, green leafy vegetable legumes, um, uh, good fruits will help the methylization process, which helps the DNA function more properly. So that's why vitamins and co coenzymes work. What they do is make our DNA produce things more properly, which makes better enzymes, which makes the, the functions of various systems or every system in our body work. So um, that's why epigenetic changes that are good occur because of the uh, eating good diet and bad because of eating the poor diet. The only thing I would say is that when we're eating properly, we're never doing 100%. We can do as much as we can. Um, if a study says if you exercise, if you eat green leafy vegetables, whatever, you're going to have a 30% less chance of getting cancer. So just to say that, I'd like to get a 100% less chance of getting it. So my idea is, well, um, as you know, I, I coined the term passive uh, versus active epigenetics. Passive epigenetics is what you're talking about. You could just do so much. If you do things properly like um, uh, do exercise, eat properly, eat the great vitamins that you will know about, you're going to lower your risk of things like heart disease and cancer and, and, and diseases in the eye. But it, is that all we can do? Or is there stuff we can do where we can intervene scientifically to actually say, hey, what's wrong with this person? Why are they getting heart disease? Why are they more likely to get cancer? Why are they more likely to get glaucoma or macular degeneration? And you can do something chemically, scientifically to make their genes function 100% properly so that disease will not occur. So passive is what we could do as human beings in our lifestyle, whether it be exercise, whether it be diet, whether it be living in a proper environment, getting away from radiation, living in the North Pole, or but active would be what can be done now and more likely in the future so that our genome will actually function 100% more properly and we'll live a life that's healthier and hopefully longer. And there's other things that um, we'll talk about hopefully in the near future, but in the next few seconds, that's telomeres. So maybe we'll uh, be able to make ourselves live a lot longer by these changes that we can act by actively affecting the genome that we do. That's great. That's a great segue. Tell me about telomeres. What are telomeres? And uh, how can we, maybe by protecting our telomeres, maybe help decrease our aging process? Well, telomeres uh, were found many, many years ago, and they were thought to be just the garbage at the end of chromosomes. They're just some um, areas that don't seem to code for any DNA, doesn't seem to code for any proteins. They really don't do anything. But what was discovered over time is as the cell divides, the telomeres would get shorter and shorter and shorter, and eventually at some point they'd get so short the cell would not divide, become senescent, old, and the cell dies. We age. So it looks like, uh, at first glance and even second glance, that the telomeres is almost like a biological clock. And as the cell divides, these telomeres get shorter and shorter. Well, there's an enzyme called telomerase, and, and, and that's active in doing that process. If we can intervene and, number one, stop that, we could perhaps stop the aging process 
and they've tried that. Um, it's a little difficult because it can result in cancers at this point in time. But if we get our systems to be more accurate and more efficient, we could perhaps make ourselves younger. How? Um, make the telomeres produce cells that are longer and longer and longer so we get ourselves looking like they were back when we were 10, 15, 20 years old, you choose the age. So it's a, it's a field that um, has had a lot of research in it. We kind of know what happens, and we know that this biological clock exists. We also know that when we do the proper things, like we have a fasting diet, or you eat proper foods, or you have more exercise, it seems like those telomeres don't um, get shorter as quickly. So therefore, by doing the proper things, uh, like a fasting diet that's been proposed, uh, we have shown, not myself, but other scientists have shown, that um, you can extend human life and, and not only that, but the um, lifestyle and the health of the individual just by doing the proper things. So that's one of the avenues, but it's really exciting. So um, I don't know what we would do if we got ourselves to the point where we can, where we can live forever. Uh, I guess we'd have to clone our brains so that if we ever get in an accident, we can put it back into some cloned body again. So, uh, but uh, it's it's real interesting, and it's not this is not voodoo science fiction that's way out there. It's been shown that by doing the proper things, you actually could uh, affect the telomerase process, but we're affecting it just very little. That's the passive things that uh, you talk about with great diet and great exercise and, and living the proper things, no smoking, et cetera. Uh, but my, my avenue is to, to um, not to circumvent that, but to augment that with active processes where science could actually make these things happen. I don't want everybody to get a bariatric uh, um, uh, stomach so it can eat all the foods they want or, or not gain weight. The whole idea is to do both, to have an active as well as a passive way of uh, improving our lifestyle and our, our life extension for that matter. Is there a blood test somebody could do to see what their telomeres are? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, there's a blood test they can do because, in fact, they can do a somatic test also. Uh, uh, they don't have to, somatic means the actual skin cells and things like that. You can look at your telomeres and you can tell who is aging more than another person. Some people might not want to know that, but there are uh, places you can go to actually have these tests done and they will explain uh, that, yes, you look, um, you look 60, 60 years old, but your telomeres are a 40-year-old person. Or you look 40 years old and your telomeres are a 60-year-old person. So that's correct. We have that input now. Can we do anything about it? Well, yeah, we, we can't totally eliminate it, but through the proper diet, proper exercise, proper environment, um, and we can go over many other things. Most people know the same things. Uh, we're not going to find that in, in the year 2050 that uh, trans fats are better for us. And, and we, we know most of it, we're gonna, and we're going to clip at the details. You're doing the forefront of uh, what's happening with uh, the passive process of what, what foods and diets we can eat, which certainly people should do. But um, I'd love to be in more the active process of, of helping people in one fell swoop. Lot easier. Are there any supplements that you recommend or that you even take yourself to help with the epigenetic process? Sure, I, I take a, a, a multivitamin. I don't go crazy. I take a multivitamin with um, uh, a, a lot of C, a lot of B vitamins, a lot of these other things that you know about, uh, selenium. Um, it's a basic uh, Centrum um, 50 and over. And I take MACA Health Vitamins. Well, that, that's interesting. Macca Health Vitamins, will, what that does is there's um, certain pigments in the back of our eye that uh, protect our eye from macular degeneration. And we get those from diet. 
um, but you can get more from a, a vitamin. And um, there's something in the center of our retina called mesozeaxanthine, which is hard to get um, from regular foods, and we can get it from that. So I take a big, I don't go crazy. I don't take five grams of vitamin C a day. And uh, my urine is, is a little yellow, as you know, from the B vitamins that come out. Um, so I do, I do the basics, and I, eat all, I supplement that with, a, I think, a really good healthy diet. As you know, I'm a pescatorian. Um, which means that I eat uh, a good diet. A lot of my, my lunch today actually to be very happy it was a vegetarian diet. I, I was still hungry at the end, so I grabbed some cashews, um, which is a, basically protein and good fat. Um, but I'll, I'll eat, I won't eat red meat. I don't eat chicken really except for the occasional, but I'll eat a lot of fish. And um, I try not to eat any farm fish because if I do in front of you, you'll slap me in the face. But I, it's a lot more expensive. I, eat, uh, I try to eat healthy fish. And a good diet of green leafy vegetables, et cetera, and uh, a lot of fruits also. And you know what? Um, I'm 92 and I'm still alive. And I'm able, no, I, go to, I also go to the gym five days a week like you, and uh, we do all the things we can to stay uh, as young as we can. And so far, it works because we're still talking to each other. Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. How about omega-3s? Uh, do you recommend omega-3s? Do you take them? Yes, I'm sorry. I, I, I take omega-3 also, and uh, we recommend to all the patients uh, for several reasons. Uh, it's good for inflammation in the body. Um, it, it's good for a dry eye, which we, we treat a lot of in our office. So omega-3s are a good, it's good antioxidant. It's good for inflammation. So, and there's just no downside, but um, uh, it should be recommended by every physician, not just uh, eye practitioners, I think. Now, there are certain diseases now in the eye that we could use uh, gene therapy, and you're an expert on that. Can you explain a little bit about the, the diseases that we may be able to affect? And even myopia, which is a common condition that a lot of people have. I've heard you talk about how we may, in, in utero, we might be able to affect that. If you could explain that. Let's go one step at a time. Let's go for the big announcement that happened last year. It's a drug called Luxterna. Um, what we're lucky about, or the people who have it are not so lucky, that a lot of the genetic diseases of the retina are very simple one or two gene defects. And because of that, once we identify them, we could cause that gene to be changed. And last year, Luxterna, the first gene therapy was approved for a rather rare condition called LCA, Lebus congenital amaurosis. And people are um, treated, and I'll explain how the treatment works. It's kind of interesting. I think the general public will understand this. Um, but Luxterna basically replaces the bad gene with a good gene of people who are, who are essentially blind, and they're getting back a fair percentage of their vision. That same gene, which is called the RP65 gene, a certain percentage of people with a more common disease, retinitis pigmentosa, have this defect also. And that was recently approved to treat them. And it's just starting at this point in time. But it's likely that they're going to get a, a, a good percentage of their vision back. How do we do it? It's really interesting. Gene therapy. This is actually changing the genome. How do we do it? We take the simple adenovirus, the thing that causes the common cold. We take the bad stuff out of it. We put the good gene in it. And we infect the whole eye. It's 
and the audience will complain it's infect. We're infecting it. And what happens to a virus when it goes into a cell? It incorporates its genome into the cell genome. So see how simple it is? You've taken a bad gene, you've infected the eye with the good gene, it goes into, the, into that cell, and the cells start producing the proper protein that people can see. Now, the retina is lucky in several ways. Why The retina is part of the eye that um, takes the light, forms the image. It's really the, it's part of the brain, the retina. Um, and the diseases that occur are devastating diseases, but because they're simple, because the retina is part of the brain, it, there's something called the blood-brain barrier. It, it's kind of secluded from the rest of the body. So you can treat the retina and be relatively um, sure that you're not going to affect problems and cause a problem elsewhere in the body. We also can see it. It's a small area. Um, we can see what the treatment is going. So that's why the retina is a good area to start with. Other diseases like glaucoma, for example, we've identified many, many genetic defects with glaucoma, but because it's multi-genetic, I really think glaucoma is a hundred different diseases, a thousand different diseases, just like cancer is. And so we're not going to cure glaucoma, just like we're not going to cure cancer. We're going to cure it one disease at a time as we get, get involved. Now, myopia, um, that's really interesting. Myopia is multi-genetic, but what you mentioned is that in utero, babies, we now know we can find that there's certain epigenetic changes that occur because of what happened with the parent and not the genetics that show the myopia genes that are going to cause high myopia in life. And we can now, hopefully, if the studies are just starting to be done, we now hopefully can intervene and prevent that child from becoming myopic. Now, that's at the infancy of um, testing. Now, everything that we do, we have a very strong FDA in our area here in our country. So, Things don't take place um, in a second. Uh, because let me just uh, shut the TV here. Sorry. So, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, perfect. Okay, so everything that can occur in our body that we have to get done, the lucky thing about certain diseases, there's some um, conditions where the FDA will allow things to be sped along. It's called an orphan drug process where if somebody doesn't have a, has, a, has a terrible disease and there's nothing that can be done, they're going to be dying, they'll uh, fast-track the approval of it. Um, I'm sorry, my phone just started to ring. Can you hear me still? Great. Yeah, um, so, so to get back on the subject, um, let, let's go to the broad strokes. Um, we now have a treatment, genetic therapy, for a disease in the eye that's devastating, and now a second disease. And it's been approved, it's being done, uh, I'm pretty close to the doctor that will die. I always uh, talk to him to see that the uh, retinal guys at the Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. Um, but there's other things that are on the forefront, and probably in the next five years we'll have 10, 15 diseases that will be treated. Um, usually they do this stuff, they first have to prove it's safe. So they have to do studies that take a little while. But if something's devastating and a person's no blind or gone through the child, there's a disease, for example, called retinoblastoma that only has one or two genetic defects. And because um, it kills children, uh, that can be fast-tracked also once they get the approval. So whether it be simple things like nearsightedness, um, simple diseases like, well, let's, let's take the four major things we talk about to our patients. Office. There's a lot of things that go wrong with the eye. What are the four major things? You can have cataracts, you can have glaucoma, you can be a diabetic and have bleeding in the back of the eye, or you can have macular degeneration. Those, those four things come with a lot of the things we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, for the diabetic, for example, 
um, what happens is, as you know, it's a small vessel disease, and the bleeding that occurs within these vessels causes problems all over the body, um, in the heart, in the kidneys, peripheral neuropathies, as well as uh, the back of the eye. Um, and we could do certain things with diet, certain things with drugs, but by causing the epigenetics and genetics to be more proper and more efficient, hopefully we can cure these four diseases. Cataracts are um, already been shown to have um, uh, genetic or uh, epigenetic changes in what's called the clothos gene, C-L-O-T-H-O-S. And basically what happens is when those genes are uh, methylated, the lens in our eye gets more cloudy. And when it gets more cloudy and cloudier, it becomes a cataract and we have to remove it. Well, since we know that it occurs because of methylization, there are enzymes that will do the opposite and take methylization away. It's interesting that the term methylization, we talked about it at the very beginning, where um, it's a good thing to have the B vitamins because it causes our body to be methylated. And there's a test, as you know, uh, with a, a certain um, substance in the body called homocysteine. We can test the blood. If it's low in homocysteine, the body isn't properly methylated. And so you eat the proper foods, the B vitamins, as you said, and then certain other foods, and you, you can perhaps get that back in order. So methylization is a two-way street. Um, it could be improperly methylated, and methylization causes something good to happen. It removes toxins from our body, for example, and makes our body much more healthy. But sometimes in certain things like cancers, the methylization process actually causes bad things to happen. So sometimes you want to add methyl groups, and sometimes you want to take away methyl groups. And that's in the adjunct of a very complex uh, biochemistry. But uh, we're making inroads, and hopefully we have uh, all those answers in, uh, while we're still alive. We used to think that 80% of disease was genetic and 20% was lifestyle. Now we, th we have it flipped. It's, we think it's 20% is genetic and 80% is lifestyle. Where do you kind of fall in being an expert on this? How do you feel? Well, we, we, we said it before. Um, uh, we have the same genome as some as uh, the Neanderthal men, or not Neanderthal, the 99.5, as a human being from the year 2000, uh, the years of uh, 3000 BC, yet they didn't get the diseases we're getting. So I, I'm in the, uh, the camp, it's more 80% uh, nature, nurture, and 20% nature. Um, and so we can control it. Now, we have biological clocks. We can do everything right. Uh, why does a dog live to 12 years old? Why does a, a, a salamander live one year? And why do humans live 70, hopefully 80, 90 years? Because we built into our genome is uh, planned obsolescence because we can't keep on living forever um, as societies were in the past because we just wouldn't have enough food and we'd be overpopulated. So that's another story. But if you do everything properly, then all those other things that occur to shorten human life or make our life experience less, uh, less happy and less healthy, uh, we can at least circumvent that with um, the things we do. So I'm in your camp and it's 80% what we do and 20% what we're, the cards we're dealt with. Talk about genetic counseling and if people are interested in it and how they could go about getting genetic counseling. Yes. Uh, well, first of all, I would hope your doctor would be able to um, at least assist you in knowing some things. But there's a, a genetic registry, uh, which um, if you'd like, I'll be able to provide anybody. Um, if you use my name, it's uh, my email, it's fine. It's stevesilberberg at gmail.com. And I'll provide you with the link where you can contact or your doctor can contact the registry. It is, uh, when I lecture, it is 
extremely important if you have a retinal disease of any sort that you do that now because the studies are ongoing now. And if your doctors know about it, and some of the retinal specialists I speak to don't know about it, but they poo-poo it. And I show them the literature, they say, oh, yeah, I might be able to do it. So, yes, please contact me, and I'll give you and your physician, whether it be your primary care practitioner, an eye doctor, or a cardiologist, the information, and you should at least know what's going on with your particular condition. Uh, and it doesn't have to be the eye. It could be something uh, with your liver or something with your heart. Uh, these things are going on all over the place uh, for all these diseases at this point in time, and you should not be left out because your physician doesn't know about it or hasn't uh, had the proper contact. So I'll be glad to uh, furnish you with the registry. It's a little bit more complex than my lectures, but there's um, different registry uh, numbers to get for different types of diseases. So I, I'd like to be able to customize it. So please feel free to contact me. Please explain about CRISPR. And is it someday we're going to be able to use eye drops to be able to, in, instead of injections? Yeah. Well, CRISPR is really cool. And you, you heard of it first with the um, Chinese doctor who um, uh, put it in vitro and um, with two twins being born, he tried to prevent them from getting AIDS. But that, he used it improperly. What CRISPR is really cool, you make a DNA um, uh, sequence, which will be the proper gene to make the proper protein. You then inject that into the cells of wherever you're doing it. It could be the eye, it could be someplace else in the body. There's then a scaffold that kind of comes along with the proper gene that attaches right to the part of the DNA that is bad, cuts it off, and puts the good gene in there. So it's basically taking a bad gene, taking it out, and putting a good gene in. So that's not epigenetics. It's gene therapy. It's taking a bad gene and making a good gene simply by having... Um, a genetic sequence which will bind to the part of the DNA, which is bad, cut it out, and put it in. And it works. Um, it, it's a very powerful method. Um, and that, that's really what, right now, we're doing a lot more AV vectoring, which is what I talked about with the viruses, because it's more simple. But CRISPR has a lot more power to actually change our genetic structure uh, in a very specific way. Your second part of your question was? How far away are we from re really being able to use CRISPR to really help people? And how about eye drops for? Uh... Yeah, okay. for, for CRISPR, we're really close, except that they have to be very, very careful. Way back about, I think it was about 12 years ago, they tried to use CRISPR or gene therapy very similar on a boy in France for a genetic disease, and unfortunately he died. So they have to be very careful. So we're very close with a lot of these one gene and two gene um, problems to use CRISPR to do, do that, to make that gene go away and make a person more healthy, cure that disease, or even enhance. In other words, why does um, Usain Bolt run as fast as he did? Why did Michael Jordan jump as high as he, he did? There's ways of pr uh, perhaps making us um, eugenically superior, and that can be done with CRISPR. You have to be careful. So we're pretty, there's, hundreds or thousands of studies that I try to read about CRISPR, but they have to be very careful to first do it in the lab, in animals, make sure it works, then do slow human trials. So I think in the next decade, you're going to see uh, quite a few CRISPR uh, therapies occurring. What you're talking about is really unique. Um, you can do CRISPR by injecting in the eye or elsewhere in the body, but uh, one company in France developed this chemical which goes right through the cornea, and we'll have the proper CRISPR gene uh, sequence and goes right to the retina. 
and will essentially do the same thing as injections and a lot more safely, a lot more easily. I think a patient would much rather have um, an eye drop put in their eye. And it's also being done, again, uh, with, the, with uh, cataracts to create a, a situation where the CRISPR gene will take out the part of the cataract um, genome that's causing the clannus and affect it. So in the very near future, we have the chemical that can do it. Uh, that's under study now, by the way, at um, uh, Baskin Palmer in uh, Florida to make that uh, chemical into an eye drop. And then um, uh, ophthalmology, optometry, and maybe the nurse practitioners will be doing it. Uh, but uh, it's a bright future there. CRISPR is really amazing, and if you Google CRISPR, you'll see all the things being done, but it, it's being done slowly because they don't want to uh, create any problems uh, or, or certainly kill any people. Thanks for making that such a difficult subject so easy. Uh, one more thing uh, before as we start wrapping up. Explain what stem cell is and compare it to gene therapy. And how is it? Yeah, it's really a great question because people think it's the same, but it's not. Uh, in gene therapy, what we're doing is actually taking um, some process and changing the genetic structure of, of a bad gene. In stem cells, we're actually taking cells that have the good genes already and putting them back in the body or putting them in the body. A perfect example is uh, when somebody has leukemia um, and they do what's called a stem cell transplant. Um, what they do is they kill the person's um, bone marrow and get all the bad genes that are causing leukemia out and they implant good cells from either that person or more likely a relative. So actually, uh, what stem cells are, are cells that are undifferentiated, but carry the proper gene structure to do whatever you want to do, uh, in this particular case, to cure leukemia. Um, they've even tried when people have a heart attack, it's called myocardial infarction, that you put stem cells in an area around uh, a muscle very quickly, um, it will know that uh, from the, um, uh, chemo tactic or from the information you get from the cells around it to become part of the heart, become part of the brain. So stem cells are really undifferentiated cells. We have stem cells in our cornea, for example, that help it to regrow. Um, they're all over our body and stem cells basically, when we do therapy with stem cells, we're putting a cell in that has the proper gene and becomes and, and makes that organ or uh, system work better. Well, gene therapy would change in the gene itself in, in properly formed genes in those cells. How far are we away from being able to use stem cells to really help patients with very devastating diseases of the eye? Um, pretty close. Um, they're doing research in stem cells, for example, in, in the retinal diseases, but also um, in glaucoma. We're, we're close in the respect that, again, it's a slow process because you have to be careful with stem cells, they do the right things. I think we're, we're probably like five to ten years away from being able to use them. It, it's going to be a competition of whether CRISPR works better than stem cells or whether it's better in combination. It'll be really interesting as to which wins which fight, and I think it depends on what organ of the body you're talking about. But for the eye, I think stem cells have so, some potential. For example, um, there's a disease called macular degeneration where there's two forms. Now, there's a form called the dry form where Dr. Gelb and I have both seen areas where the whole retina is basically gone in the very center of the eye. Well, gene therapy is not going to work very well there because there's no cells to, for, to do anything with. But you put the stem cells in that area, which is what they're doing now in research in animals, 
And if those stem cells now become the area of the retina that's supposed to be and produce the proper um, proteins, they'll become vision-seeking cells and, and the retina will be healed. That's a perfect example where stem cells might work where gene therapy has no hope because there's no cells to work on them. It's already been destroyed. Fantastic. Anything with cataracts that you could tell us? Yeah, well, cataract is real simple. Um, uh, there's, there's two or three pieces of research going on that almost are in their forefront. Uh, there's uh, all um, a cataract, the lens in our eye is nice and clear because the proteins are aligned perfectly in straight lines. Over the course of our lifetime, from genetic or mostly epigenetic changes like um, UV light, light itself, um, smoking, et cetera, age, those, those, um, the cataract forms because those uh, proteins are misaligned, almost like an egg. When um, you open up an egg, it's nice and clear. When you heat it up, it becomes a hard-boiled egg. And that's what's happening to in, the, in a cataract in the eye. So there are certain um, uh, ways of making this, the um, proteins align. One of them is by uh, stopping the methylization process. That's an epigenetic change. One is an eye drop that potentially just makes those uh, cross-linked or improperly aligned proteins of the cataract become right. And this is simply a, a drug. And the drug is doing it uh, by um, uh, getting in between the cell membranes. It's really cool and, and making them better. I don't think that'll cure it. So to make it more, make it simpler, uh, the changes that occur to cause the proteins not to be straight from epigenetic and genetic, mostly epigenetic changes that occur um, could now be uh, hopefully intervened with and we can get cataracts to not form at all if they do form to stop them from getting worse. Um, that's pretty close, by the way. You're a brilliant optometrist. If, if you could uh, advise the people watching, you know, maybe three things to look for when they go and get their eyes examined, what would they be? Yeah, number one, um, you want to make sure the doctor is up to snuff in terms of uh, the proper uh, science. Um, he shouldn't have an office where he's just um, refracting you with a, a, the lenses, et cetera. He should be looking in your eye with certain devices that um, uh, you don't have to know the name of them, but there are certain things that are uh, able to see in the retina, behind the retina. So they should be a well-equipped office. He also should have, uh, he should be able to speak to you like a doctor who knows not just about the eye. He should know, for example, when uh, he's interested in you, what medications you're taking. And he should know what those medications are for. He should know what the, whether they're for high blood pressure, or diabetes, et cetera. Um, and you want to have him be able to do the proper testing. You, you want to not have a five-minute examination. You want your pupils dilated. You want to be able to have them. If you, you know, if, if you don't look, you can't see. If you don't know what to do, if you see, then you're not a good doctor. Most, most uh, doctors who have the proper equipment are also the ones that know what the proper things to do. So really, you want to go to an office that is comprehensive, that has all the latest equipment, and also has a, a doctor that knows how to interpret. My, my profession's changed. You said also, I used to be a data collector. 25 years ago. We used to do all these little tests and collect data. Now I analyze data. All that stuff comes to me and I just look at it and say, okay, I've got to do a few more things, but our field has changed. So you want to go to an office where somebody's a data analyzer, not a data collector. Because a collector means that he doesn't have the proper instruments to, to do the work before he sees it. Interesting enough, we might be replaced in a few years by artificial intelligence because a lot of our instruments that we use now 
uh, that uh, can be interpreted by artificial intelligence almost as good and potentially better than us. So we might be sitting on a couch uh, playing uh, bridge one day because uh, our office is being run by a computer. Now, there's disruptors out there that claim that they could do an eye exam by looking into your cell phone and give you a proper prescription or contact lenses. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, they, they could do the proper thing that we did 40 years ago. It, it, they absolutely can. Um, and maybe get almost as accurate as we were 40 years ago. So you always can do things on the cheap and, and make it look like it's as good as you're doing in person, but it's not the same. I can't, and I, 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 I often get pictures of my cell phone from a patient who's going to Italy, and he takes a picture of the front of the eye. Uh, and I'm looking at it, and I said, could you come closer? I'm writing a little text message. Of course not. You can't possibly do the thing uh, online with a cell phone that you could do in person. Uh, and there's certain things that are so subtle that you know and I know that we can't possibly do. So you, you can do the broad strokes right. And sure, you can get somebody kind of a, a, a decent pair of glasses maybe, but that's to me, 2% of our profession in this day and age. Uh, and it probably isn't as correct as it would be. So no, it, 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 the, the science does not exist with whatever instruments they're using to do things online that we could do in person. Uh, it's just impossible. Uh, like try, try doing a heart catheterization by um, uh, taking a picture of the outside of your chest. Well, I just want to thank you for visiting with us. If people want to get in contact with you and learn more about your work or your office, uh, where, where, how, how can they find you? Okay. Well, first, let me give you uh, my email again. I'll give you two of them. The, the, the second one's the cool one because you'll know it's spacedoc, S-P-A-C-D-O-C, at alum, A-L-U-M, dot M-I-T, dot E-D-U. Use that one because it goes to all my emails. I never get uh, disconnected. Um, or you can call my office, ask for me, and I'll be I won't, hopefully I'll be able to get on the phone that day. But I'll be able to give you uh, the answer to your question. I can't treat your eye condition from, because I'm not your doctor, but I can give you some broad strokes of what to do and, and certainly where to go if you have a certain uh, much more complex thing that would even be on what I can do. I'd be, be left to help people. It's great. Dr. Steve, you're a brilliant optometrist. I'm proud that you're an optometrist and I'm proud to call you my friend. Thank you for doing this and have a wonderful day. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I like to bring extra, and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had safe for you to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with safe for you. And most importantly, the reason why I buy safe for you is because it's safe for me and you. 